Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. I'm Bob, and I want to thank you for listening. We have on this site over 3,300 audios featuring great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea, other lands, Bible studies. Uh, you can now go to Play Store and download the Church One app. It's called Church One. It's all one word, Church One, for sermon audio. Enter Hackberry House as your choice of broadcasters. Uh, my books are on Amazon.com. You can contact me personally at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. And please also check out Hackberry Radio. Just go to hackberryhouseofchosun.com and take a look and a listen. I'm reading today from a book entitled The Christian in Complete Armor by William Gurnall, the English Bible scholar and pastor who died in 1679. Now there are five excuse me, four considerations in this book before we actually get to the pieces of the armor. That's in volume two. We're at the, coming to the end of volume one now, his fourth and final consideration before we get to that part. Now, the position, this, the consideration is the position to be maintained in the fight. The position to be maintained in the fight. That's Ephesians six fourteen. stand therefore. Now in verse 13 of Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul clearly states the kind of armor that you as a Christian must use, and that is God's armor. Next, so you will not be tempted to fashion counterfeit armor in your own private forge and call it the armor of God. Paul describes the true armor piece by piece, beginning in verse 14. Roman Catholics and Protestants alike have often been guilty of, of devising their own weapons to fight the devil, weapons that God never appointed. Later we'll discuss the pieces of armor in the order the apostles named them, but first we will explore another matter. Notice in verse 14 that Paul specifies the necessary posture for a Christian soldier. He says, stand therefore. What good will it do to be properly armed if we do not stand in valiant opposition to the enemy? And so, number one, stand. Do not flee or yield. To stand is the opposite of to flee or to surrender. A captain who sees his men retreating or on the verge of surrender gives the order, stand. And every soldier worthy of his calling responds at once, to his captain's voice. In like manner, every Christian is to respond to God's command to stand, or in other words, steadfastly to resist and never yield to the attacks of Satan. Four reasons are sufficient to show why this is so important. First, Scripture expressly commands it. Now, Peter says of Satan, whom resist steadfast in the faith. As the word steadfast implies, hold the line in battle against Satan. Fight him whenever he advances. Soldiers are to adhere strictly to their orders, even if it costs them their lives. When Joab sent Uriah to the front line of battle at David's command, no doubt Uriah saw the danger he would face, yet he did not argue with his general. Obey he must though he lose his life in the process. Among soldiers, 
Cowardice and disobedience, <coughs> excuse me, are among the most damning sins. How then can they be considered slight offenses by those who have Christ for their captain and sin and the devil as their enemies? To resist some temptations may cost us dearly. You have not yet resisted to blood, though striving against sin, the apostle said. He implies that spiritual warfare may well come to that, and if it should, it does not alter the case, nor give us an excuse to choose to sin rather than to suffer. When is it ever permissible for a Christian to shirk his duty because it is accompanied by danger? If we are to be successful soldiers, the preservation of God's honor must always take precedence over our fears. Just as an earthly soldier represents his country's honor in battle, the Christian represents God's honor whenever he is called to contend with temptation. Such testing quickly reveals how far we are willing to go in defending our sovereign's reputation. David's subjects valued him as worth 10,000 of their own lives. Every one of them would die rather than endanger their leader. Surely God deserves as much from his subjects. How dishonorable to expose his blessed name to any reproach rather than expose ourselves to a little scorn, temporal loss, or trouble. The Roman general Pompey boasted that a nod of his head would send his soldiers scrambling up the steepest rock on their hands and knees, though they were knocked down as fast as they advanced. This is the kind of loyalty that God wants from us. And while he is never reckless with the blood of his servants, sometimes he tests our loyalty in hard service and sharp temptations, so that through our faithfulness and bravery, he may triumph over Satan. Perhaps you recall the time Satan impudently accused God of bribing Job, charging that this choice servant really only served himself in serving God. Doth Job fear God for naught? He dared God to take away his blessing, insisting that Job would curse God to his face rather than submit to suffering. So God let the devil have his way. And what was the result? Because Job remained steadfast in adversity, we find the Lord boasting to Satan, Still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him. In essence, God said, You see, I have some who will serve me without a bribe, who will hold fast to their commitment when they can hold on to nothing else. You took Job's estate, his servants, and his children, and still he stands his ground. You have neither captured his will nor his integrity. The next point, God supplies armor sufficient for the battle. To allow a well-armed fortress to fall into enemy hands would be a disgrace to the defending soldiers. Spiritually speaking, such a defeat is even more dishonorable because God in Christ gives his soldiers all the power they need to resist the devil at every turn. We should not be surprised when an unregenerate soul yields easily to a temptation that promises carnal pleasure or profit. Those without Christ have no armor with which to repel the enemy's attack. They know nothing of his sweetness. 
So it is his, it's natural that they, for want of better food, would sit at the devil's table. The goat, we say, must graze where it is tied. The sinner, likewise, must feed on earthly things because he is staked to the earth by his carnal heart. But the Christian has a hope for higher things than this world can offer. His present faith is a promissory note written in the Holy Spirit's own hand to assure him of ultimate victory. The helmet of salvation, if put on, and the shield of faith, if lifted up, will ward off a whole shower of the devil's arrows. God has good reason to be displeased when his child, who could have resisted by using his graces and calling to heaven for help, instead yields to the enemy. In the garden, God said to Adam, Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee, thou shouldst not eat? The emphasis here is on thou, as if God were saying, I know you did not eat because you were hungry. You had a whole paradise to choose from. How could you fall when you were so well equipped to withstand? In the same vein, God may say to you, Have you been eating the devil's treats? when you carry a key to my bountiful cupboard? Are your father's provisions so meager that the devil's scraps sit well with you? Next point, the Christian's safety lies in resisting. God provides armor to defend the Christian while fighting, not to protect him while retreating. Stand and the day is yours. Flee or yield and all is lost. I have read of great captains who purposely cut off all avenues of retreat so their soldiers would fight to the death. William the Conqueror, as soon as his army set foot on English soil, sent away his ships in full sight of his men. Similarly, God makes no provisions for cowardice. In his armory, there is not a piece to be found for the back. Here is an awesome truth. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. He who faces the battle with confidence comes off with his life, but he who defects wins only God's displeasure. What a poor exchange to turn from fighting against Satan and engage God as your enemy. There is comfort in fighting sin and Satan, even when it draws blood. But there is no comfort at all in enduring the fiery indignation of an avenging God. What Satan lays on, God can take off. But who can give relief from what God lays on? Would you not rather die in the heat of battle, fighting for your country, than be executed for cowardice or treason? Next point, the enemy is overcome only by force. Now, there are three reasons why this is so. Number one, Satan is a cowardly enemy. Though he wears a brave countenance when he tempts you, he actually harbors a fearful heart in his breast. As a thief trembles when he sees a light or hears a noise in his victim's house, so Satan is startled to find a soul awake and ready to oppose him. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, the devil said, that is, I know them to my shame, 
and they have both put me to flight. And if you are like them, Satan will fear you as well. Believe me when I say he trembles at your faith. Use it to call for help against him and exert it vigorously to repel his advances. Then you will see him run. Suppose the soldiers defending a castle learned that the invading army was weak and disorganized and would quickly scatter at any show of strength from within the castle. Would this not greatly increase the courage of the defenders? The Spirit of God, who knows everything about the enemy, sends the Christian an intelligence report with these instructions. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The enemy cannot hurt you unless you let him. Your steadfast resistance strikes a heavy blow to his confidence. At the time of Christ's temptation and unswerving resistance, Satan is said to have departed from him for a season. When the devil persists in tempting you, it may be that, though you have not yet yielded, neither have you openly repulsed his advances. Like a determined suitor, Satan looks for the slightest encouragement and upon seeing it continues to advance. The only way to be rid of him is to shut and bolt the door and refuse to entertain the matter further. Number two, Satan is an encroaching enemy. Therefore, you must resist him constantly. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, warns the apostle. Neither give place to the devil. A soldier assigned to guard duty on the outskirts of a city must keep watch as faithfully as the king's personal bodyguard, or the enemy will break through the outer limits and thereby gain access to the heart of the town. If you yield to temptation along the perimeter of your heart, you give the devil a foothold from which to create havoc in your inner spirit. For example, you may become angry and, and thoughtlessly spew out some bitter words. At the very moment this unholy language spills from your mouth, the devil finds the floodgates open and enters. Then come gushing forth such things as you never dreamed of saying, he is a cunning opponent and will not easily relinquish any ground that he gains. The safest strategy, then, is to give him no ground at all from which to work. If you so much as hesitate as you walk by the door where sin dwells, you give Satan more time to entice you to enter, then you are on his territory. Who will stop by a tavern to enjoy the company of drunkards? or are frequent places of sin, and yet pretend he does not intend to partake? Who will prostitute his eyes to unchaste objects, and yet remain chaste? Who will lend his ears to any corrupt doctrine of the times, and yet be sound in the faith? Such a person is under a strong delusion. If a man is not strong enough to resist Satan in the lesser things, how can he believe he will be able to repel a greater temptation? You say you cannot avoid being surrounded by deep waters of temptation, and yet you think you have the strength to hold your head above water? Then give careful thought to some practical advice. It is far easier when in the ship to keep from falling overboard than when in the sea to get safely into the ship again. And number three, Satan is an accusing 
enemy. He is a foolish man indeed, who, knowing what an accuser the devil is, will provide him with ammunition for his charge. Some say a witch cannot hurt you unless she has received the gift of money from you. Similarly, the devil cannot harm you unless you let him get hold of some weakness in you that that he can use to his advantage. I advise you to take up Job's resolution, quote, My righteousness I hold fast. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. That's Job 27.6. If your own heart or conscience does not accuse you, then the enemy's accusation cannot stand. Next time we'll talk about standing in your own place, not usurping someone else's. Thank you so much again. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.